The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Kyle Boone is here with me, and I suppose we'll start with the biggest news of the week, specifically that Pat Chambers is out at Penn State after nine seasons. It is the result of an internal investigation launched after allegations of inappropriate conduct that followed Former Penn State player Rasir Bolton publicly saying that Chambers once said the following to him, quote, I want to be a stress reliever for you. You can talk to me about anything. I need to get some of this pressure off you. I want to loosen the noose that's around your neck, end quote. Obviously, that's cringeworthy. But, you know, Pat Chambers, once these allegations surfaced, he subsequently apologized said he needed to listen more, learn a lot, which is something a lot of white men have said, um, you know, since the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis earlier this year. And I think he would have probably, Pat, survived that if that's where the story ended. But shortly after that story was told, new allegations surfaced, though exactly what the allegations involve remains unclear. Either way, it led to Pat Chambers offering his resignation earlier this week. So Kyle, I guess let me ask you this. Are you surprised the Penn State job is now open in October 2020? Yeah, when I, when I saw this news come down earlier this week, I was surprised. Um, it, it took me, you know, I guess it, it was a little bit jarring to see that come down, but I had almost forgotten uh, this entire incident. And, and maybe it's just because so much has happened in the past few months that it almost got buried. But yeah, it, I mean, you, you, you mentioned the allegations that were levied against him, um, the, the phrases that he used, the inappropriate conduct that was alleged that he committed and, um, and apparently the, the investigation that Penn State launched found that he, he is, was essentially resigning for a separate incident. So I can't say I'm surprised. Um, you know, I guess in the moment I was surprised, but taking the full context into consideration, uh, the fact that Pat Chambers is no longer the, the coach at, at Penn State is, uh, is frankly not all that surprising. You know, he was 148 and 150 uh, since he was hired at Penn State in 2011. Never made an NCAA tournament appearance in nine seasons. Now, maybe they would have made the NCAA tournament last year. But, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, just uh, considering everything in terms of, you know, how successful or, or lack of success that he found, uh, coupled with the fact that some of the the recent troubles off the court, I think uh, it shouldn't be, shouldn't be that surprising. 
So when the first allegation surfaced, Norlander and I actually talked about it on this podcast. And like, listen, I've known Pat Chambers for a long time since he was a assistant at Villanova for Jay Wright. And, um, you know, I, I, I can't defend what he said, uh, but it's not like he denied it or tried to rationalize it as much as he apologized for it. And I said, you know, I, I know all of these topics are, are delicate in the year 2020, given everything that's happened in this country um, over the past several months. But, you know, uh, if there if he is sincere and um, and 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 aware of how wildly inappropriate it is to mention getting a noose um, from around somebody's neck, um, obviously a minority basketball player. If he's if he actually acknowledges, I, I shouldn't have said that. I will never say that again. And I'm trying to learn more uh, about why I shouldn't talk like that or use those phrases. Like that's not the worst thing in the world. The problem, of course, is that Penn State launched an internal investigation, and they didn't limit the investigation to just how, you know, Pat Chambers treated his players or spoke with his players. Um, they were asking, according to David Jones from pinlife.com, questions about recruiting irregularities as well. And so this seems to be the classic case of you don't want to do something that triggers an investigation because you don't know what they might go looking for one thing and find something else that is more problematic for your career. It's something I've had several coaches tell me about the NCAA. You don't want them on your campus because they might come to your campus for one reason. Next thing you know, they found A, B, and C. And the initial thing they were looking for is not even really the thing that's going to get you. Will Wade might be going through this at LSU right now. You know, the NCAA, uh, you know, the biggest item connected to Will Wade was the Javante Smart, the phone call, wiretap phone call connected to the recruitment of Javante Smart. So the NCAA starts asking questions. Well, now, reportedly, you know, they, they got a whole bunch of people, in addition to Javante Smart, suggesting that things outside of the NCAA rulebook happened. Whether Will will survive or not, we'll see. But that is a case of, Maybe the NCAA started looking at one thing, and when they started looking at one thing, they believe they found a whole bunch of other things. That appears to be what happened at Penn State. Rasir Bolton tells his story. Penn State launches an investigation. They start asking questions, and then they end up with enough stuff where they feel like they have to ask. They're possibly and reasonably described as what mediocre coach for a long time, but somebody who did have that program respectable in recent years. Um, nobody wants to make a coaching change in October of any year, especially in October of a pandemic year with so much uncertainty elsewhere in college athletics. They clearly felt like, at best I can tell, they had no choice but to ask for his resignation. And Pat obviously, um, you know, uh, gave them that resignation earlier this week. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting trajectory for for Pat Chambers here because – he signed a four-year deal in 2018 after Penn State won the NIT championship. They, they took a step back in 2018-19. I think they went 14-18. and 18. He was on the hot seat after that season. They ended up deciding to bring him back. Last season, they go 21-10. and 10. They were poised to potentially earn a bid to the NCAA tournament, and it looked like 
you know, maybe Pat Chambers was finally going to get, you know, things back on the right track and things were kind of looking up and now he's gone. Jim Ferry is going to step in as the interim coach. He has some previous head coaching experience. So hopefully that is good, but we did our big 10 projections earlier this week and uh, we projected Penn state to finish 12th out of 14 in that league. And so this is, this is obviously you have to downgrade Penn state. You have to downgrade um, the fact that, you know, there's so much uncertainty with this program and their head coach is now gone. The other thing here, as you point out that Penn state is projected to finish 12th uh, in the big 10, this upcoming season, uh, really this could have just been like Pat chambers is out at Penn state you know, five months before he would have been out at Penn State. Um, it, assuming they didn't wildly overachieve, it would have been 10 seasons, zero NCAA tournament appearances, while recognizing last season could have been an NCAA tournament appearance. But this might just be a deal where um, they're, they're doing in October what they were going to do in March – although they're doing it for different reasons in October, then they would have ultimately maybe done it come March, 2021. Um, either way, the Penn state job is open. Pat chambers is out and he did release a statement. And in part it, it read this way. Anyone who has ever coached, especially at this level knows the exceptional amount of energy and focus it takes to deliver each and every day. This has been an incredibly difficult year for me and my family, and we are in need of a break to reset and chart our path forward. So I'm taking a step back to prepare myself for the next 20 years, end quote. Now, this might not be the biggest deal in the world, but like, that's not what happened. Yeah, <laughs> He didn't decide in October, you know, I'm worn out. This job has taken an incredible amount of energy, and I'm just going to take a break a month before the season starts and uh, reset and then chart my path forward. Like, that's, that's not what happened. He, he was told, more or less, resign or get fired. So, I, I, listen, I, I've never been a college basketball coach who's had my resignation forced. Perhaps I would spin it this way as well. Again, not the biggest deal in the world. But I did notice that the statement was not a proper reflection of actually what happened here. There was no no mention of uh, the incident from earlier this summer with Rasir Bolton. There, there was no mention of an investigation. It was essentially, hey, you know, we, we've had some great years. I'm riding into the sunset. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, it's, that's, it's a hard sell. Yeah, that, that's that's not what happened. But uh, what, like I said, it's it's not the biggest deal in the world, but it is something that I noticed in the statement and, and felt it was worth pointing out. So the next question connected to Penn State is, is this. Who should be the next coach of the Nittany Lions? Who should the Big Ten school focus on? And what kind of job is it? We're going to get into that next. But first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So our dribble handoff item on Friday asked the following question. Who should be Penn State's next head coach? Um, what we do, if you haven't uh, kept up with these dribble handoffs, so I, I actually enjoy doing these. Um, I think the college football side started doing them. Then we started doing them on college basketball. We ask a question every Friday and uh, we provide our answers to David Cobb, you know, somewhere around 250 words that he compiles them. And just like that, we've got Friday content. So um, as we are recording this on Friday morning, Kyle, I know you haven't answered your dribble handoff question yet. Shame on you. <laughs> David David Cobb's probably looking for it right now. Cobb's coming after me. He's gonna you'll he'll be sending you a Slack direct message <laughs> any any minute. Um, I did answer my uh, my I did my homework uh, assignment on Thursday night, and before I get into the person I actually identified as a reasonable person to to focus the search on, uh, let's talk about what kind of job it is. In a word. Difficult. It is one of the hardest jobs in any Power Five conference. Um, right there with Washington State in the Pac-12. I think Rutgers probably in the Big Ten. Maybe Nebraska also in the Big Ten. Maybe Northwestern also in the Big Ten. A lot of hard Big Ten jobs now that I'm looking at it. Um, you know, it, it's a, a place where They've only been to four NCAA tournaments since 1965, just two since 1996. So all of these jobs are good jobs in the sense that you make more money than you probably ever thought you were going to make when you decided to pursue a coaching career. But reportedly, Pat Chambers was only making $900,000, which surprised me because that's very low for a power conference, a power five um, job. So... Let's combine these two things. Hard job with no history of winning. Again, just four NCAA tournament appearances since 1965. And it's not a $2.5 million a year job no matter what. Like I remember when the Rutgers job opened a few years ago. Dan Hurley um, was a candidate for that job. And I know he struggled with it. Not because he thought it was a better job than the job he had at the time necessarily, um, but because the money was wild. Like they were going to throw millions and millions of dollars at him in private planes and everything else. And I, I know somebody close to him said, Dan, you're going, you'll, you'll be a quote, Big Ten coach. You take this job, you'll be a Big Ten coach and you will have life changing money and you will travel on private planes. And you will stay in nice hotels and you will be miserable because you will get your brains beat in. Like, don't think you're going to be the guy to take Rutgers to the top of the Big Ten and especially to the top of college basketball. Like, you, you're not nobody. Nobody does that. You're not going to do it. So have one more good year where you're at. And then I, I know people told Dan this. You will get a better job offer than the Rutgers job offer you're considering right now. And of course, a year later, he gets the UConn job. So um, that was the type of, of situation that, that, that Dan found himself in when the Rutgers job pursued him. And the only reason he was thinking about it is because the money was overwhelming. 
The money from Penn State, there's no reason to think it's going to be overwhelming. They haven't historically paid, and are they suddenly going to do it in the middle of a pandemic? Maybe. I doubt it. So hard job with limited resources. My point being, you're not going out and hiring some candidate who's going to blow away um, your fan base. You might end up hiring somebody the majority of your fan base has never heard of, which is fine. I'll go back to the Rutgers job. They hired Steve Peichel. I promise you that it excited almost nobody at Rutgers when the hire was made. You know, they start their search with Dan Hurley and they end up with Steve Peichel. But Steve Peichel was a proven winner, successful coach in the America East, somebody who was respected as a teacher and a basketball coach. And though the records won't jump off of the page in year one, year two, year three. In year four, Steve Peichel had a team last season that was good enough to go to the NCAA tournament. And they were selling out games at home, winning almost every game at home, real energy around the program. And now I have Rutgers, I think, 21st in the preseason top 25 and one. In other words, Steve Peichel has shown the ability to do the, a hard job in the Big Ten. So if you're Penn State, why not try to replicate that blueprint? And that's why the name I submitted to David Cobb earlier today is John Becker at Vermont. Because the second Steve Peichel left the America East, the guy who's been running that league since then is John Becker. In fact, he's won every America East regular season title since Steve Peichel left Stony Brook, um, four regular season titles. He's won five now in his career at, at Vermont. He's been the America East Coach of the Year four consecutive years. He's won 70.6% of his games as a Division I head coach. Um, his record in the past four seasons is 109 and 28 which includes a 59 and five mark. And so the point I would make is that at a place like Penn state, first off, you're not just going to go hire some already established coaching star. And I would shy away from hiring a quote unquote recruiter, because usually when we call somebody a recruiter, what we're saying or what people are saying is the guy can really recruit. I don't know if he can coach so well, but man, he can really get players. Well, the problem at Penn State is that you're not you're never going to have better players than basically everybody in your league. Like, I don't care who your coach is at Penn State. You're not having better players than Indiana or Michigan State or Michigan or Ohio State or whatever. So you better have somebody who can coach. And really, I think that's largely the history of bad jobs, hard jobs in power conferences like Washington State. I mentioned one of the hardest jobs in a power five. Who has been the successful coach there? Tony Bennett. What do we know about Tony Bennett? He could really, really coach. You better have somebody who can really, really coach at these bad jobs in these power leagues. And John Becker undeniably can really, really coach. You cannot hire somebody who's going to go out there and try to recruit at the level of Michigan State and Ohio State. That ain't happening. So hire somebody who you think can build, develop, and really, really coach. And John Becker seems like a pretty obvious candidate who can be reasonably described that way. Yeah, and and that's in part why I think 
Jim Ferry just being elevated to the interim job makes a lot of sense. Uh, he's, he's got at least some coaching pedigree. He coached at Duquesne prior to joining Pat Chambers staff at Penn state um, at five in five seasons at Duquesne, he was 60 and 97. So not great. Uh, he was fired, um, but he called, he also coached it at long Island. He made two NCAA tournament appearances before Duquesne hired him. So he's at least shown that he can potentially do more with less as a coach. And hey, maybe, maybe Jim Ferry ends up working out. This is a pretty low risk uh, reward type of situation for Penn state where they already have someone who is in the program. They're probably not going to have to pay him like they probably will, assuming they go out and get another coach. Um, a guy who's familiar with the program, obviously, and has some coaching experience. So for all those reasons, I think that makes a lot of sense. In addition to the fact that it is currently October 23rd, and you're probably not going to get the coach that you want. Listen, uh, promoting Jim Ferry to interim head coach under these circumstances is obviously sensible. I mean, you know, it is October 23rd. The season is scheduled to start on November 25th. Like what else were you going to do? Um, you know, we had talked about on a recent podcast, if the Wichita state job were to open right now, obviously also not in an ideal time, you know, what should Wichita state do? And they would probably also just promote from within an interim, but I had made the suggestion that, Maybe you just take Greg Marshall's contract again if this job opens and offer it to John Beeline, who's unemployed, and and just see if he wants to come take over your program right now, coach Marshall's team, and expedite the rebuild. Well, the different the reason I would say at least try that at Wichita State and don't even think about it at Penn State is because Wichita State is a good job. It's a it's in a worse league, but it it's a much better job. They pay a lot more. Um, the fan base is more passionate, which I recognize can cut both ways, but still I'll chalk it up as a good thing. And it's, it's a top four job in a, in a top seven league, whereas Penn state's a, a, a bottom two job in a incredibly difficult league. And they don't pay the type of money that Wichita state pays. So I, I don't think Penn state could go out right now and actually make a run at somebody like John Beeline. He will not take that job. And I don't know that he would take the Wichita state job, but you could at least, um, you know, make him tell, you no for a whole lot of money. And also I had a, a coach in the profession suggest this to me as it relates to John Beeline at Wichita state, you know, John's son, Pat, who was a head coach at the division one level had to resign, you know, for, Reasons that have nothing to do with basketball. And not every school that is going to pursue John Beeline, under the assumption we agree that schools are going to pursue John Beeline, either right now or next March, April, not every school that would hire John Beeline would allow him to bring his son on staff. Wichita State probably would. They don't care. <laughs> you know, like, like, so that could be another incentive for John. Like, hey, here's a top four job in a top seven league that pays a lot of money, and they will let you restart your son's coaching career. Um, it's just a, it, it's a thing that you can throw into the pot if you're trying to get John Beeline to pay attention to you. So I do think if the Wichita State job opened right now, you could maybe make a run at John Beeline, and if not, promote from within an interim and then do whatever you're going to do in March, April. I don't think that's realistic for Penn State. So promoting Jim 
on an interim basis makes a lot of sense. And by all means, like if he proves um, capable of doing the job and does it well, if you want to consider him in March, April, then I, mean, I wouldn't object. Um, I'd be surprised if it goes that way, but I, I wouldn't personally object. Remember, you know, when Butler promoted Chris Holtman from within after Brandon Miller uh, resigned, uh, nobody, I, I don't want to say nobody, but most people didn't think Chris Holtman was going to be the next head coach at Butler, who becomes the eventual Ohio State coach. But we saw how that story played out. So sometimes the interim coaches do get a full-time um, a full-time opportunity, but I'd be surprised if that happened here. I would assume that Penn State has a a season similar to what is projected, finishing near the bottom, if not at the bottom of the Big Ten, and then they open their job up and pursue the best candidate. And again, listen, there's a lot of people to, to go look at, but the one I submitted, it's the, it's the only reason I brought him up. The one I submitted for the double handoff was John Becker at Vermont. By the way, I went and looked this up last night. Six of the past eight America East titles have been won by either Steve Peichel or John Becker. Steve Peichel is now doing well in the Big Ten with a hard job. My argument is just why not let the other guy, John Becker, uh, join him in the Big Ten with a hard job and see if he can't replicate some of that success. Before we get out of here, um, another, I guess, big development, certainly notable development this week, um, originated in Lexington, Kentucky. Wake Forest transfer Olivier Saar and Rhode Island transfer Jacob Toppin are both now eligible at Kentucky. The school announced it uh, a couple of nights ago. So I moved the Wildcats up to number 13 in the top 25 of one, one spot behind Tennessee. Before we get into what this means for Kentucky and the SEC in general, let me ask you this, Kyle. How good do you think Olivier Saar is going to be at Kentucky. We, we don't need to debate whether Kentucky should have taken him and whether he'll help. I think everybody agrees they should have taken him and that he will help. How good do you think he's going to be? I think he will be a starter for Kentucky. I think he will be all SEC caliber good. Um, and I think it'll be, he'll be serviceable. I don't think he's going to be Kentucky's best player, uh, but Kentucky really needed help in the front court. And you're adding a seven foot, 255 pound transfer from Wake Forest, who has experience at the major conference level, was was really, really good at Wake Forest. Um, and, and you're plugging him into a spot where you needed help. So how good is he going to be? I, I think he's going to be really productive for Kentucky. They, they needed size in the front court. They needed someone who can score. They needed someone who can rebound and block shots. And he can do all of those things. Last season, Olivier Saar was top 10 among all ACC players in league play in defensive rebounding rate, offensive rebounding rate, true shooting percentage, fouls drawn per 40 minutes, and free throw rate. That's according to uh, Ken Palm data. So he's a, he's a very efficient big man on both ends of the court. He runs the floor well. He, he's a very athletic big. And, you know, Kentucky lost Nate Sestina, EJ Montgomery, Nick Richards from its front court. Only Keon Brooks is back from from that from that group. So he he fits a need. Obviously, Kentucky needed help, and I think he's gonna be very productive this season. I I agree. I think he averaged thirteen point seven points, nine point zero rebounds uh, at Wake Forest last season. Yeah. Team finished thirteen and eighteen. Do you think he'll average thirteen point seven points and nine point zero rebounds? 
Uh, I'll take the under on both. I would yeah. take the under on both. Yeah. I would take the under on both. Um, this is there, there's a recent history, and I plead guilty to this myself, of watching tra- guys who actually produced at the power conference level, and then they transfer to a better program. And we assume, oh, I mean, all America stuff. And it just doesn't happen. Whether it was Reed Travis going from Stanford to Kentucky, Kerry Blackshear going from Virginia Tech to uh, Florida, you know, they, they both were fine players, but neither of them lived up to the expectations people like us set on them, set upon them um, entering the, the, their, their seasons at, at, you know, for Reed Travis, Kentucky and, and uh, for Kerry Blackshear at, at Florida. And I wonder if this won't be the same thing. Like Olivia Sar is a useful piece. You hundred percent take him. If nothing else, he adds somebody who has already produced at the division one level who is older like that. that Kentucky needs that. But do I think he'll match his production at Kentucky that he had at Wake Forest? Maybe, but I would probably bet against it. Um, do you think he'll be a top three player at Kentucky? I do. Yeah, I do. I could see him being a top three player. Like, like number three. Yeah. I could see him being Kentucky's third best player. And yeah. so I guess I would say this. If you're John Calipari, you're thrilled to have him. You just yeah. added a, a older veteran presence who is going to be your third best player. So awesome. Here's the thing. We don't usually get excited about team's third best players, right? Not often. So, you know, it, it, it is what it is. So I guess that would be my rationale for not moving Kentucky too much in the top 25 and one. Like I had, um, I believe, 15th in version 26.0. And then the news breaks Wednesday night that Olivier Saar and Jacob Toppin are both eligible. And though, listen, I... I love Jacob Toppin. He's not Obi Toppin. You know, he averaged five points in 18 minutes a game at Rhode Island. So I don't know that he's going to have an immediate impact at Kentucky, but he's another body and he has played at the division one level. So you, you take him same, same for the, some of the same reasons you take Olivier saw, but I, uh, I had Kentucky 15, the news breaks that they're both eligible and I got Kentucky fans tweeting me. So then Kentucky in the top five now. And I'm like, no, I mean, I mean, they might end up being one of the five best teams who knows, but I moved him up two spots to 13. There's still one spot behind Tennessee. Um, I don't know that he moves the needle for them that much. Could be wrong, but I don't know that he moves. I don't know that he makes Kentucky wildly better on paper than what I think Kentucky's going to be. I have him. I had him as a top 15 team. Now I have him, I guess, as a top 13 team. I had him as a team projected to finish top two in the SEC. Still have him right there. I got Tennessee winning the SEC. You've got Kentucky. Play the role of Kentucky fan. Why do you think Kentucky finishes higher than Tennessee in the SEC standings? Oh, I, I, I believe that. I think Kentucky from top to bottom is just a more complete team. I think they're more talented than Tennessee. I think it's reasonable to move Kentucky up two spots. Now, I, I don't think I'm going to make a case that they should be in the top 10. Um but they, you know, go back to the point that they needed front court help. They needed a guy like Olivier Saar to fill a role in the front court. That was the, the huge glaring weakness 
on that roster that they were really missing. And you get that guy eligible and you suddenly have less question marks coming into the season. BJ Boston, I think is going to be one of the most talented freshmen in the country uh, next season, a guy who could potentially lead them in scoring. Um, you know, I, I, again, I think Olivier Sar is your second or third or fourth best player and that's fine. I don't think he's going to be a superstar, but I think he's going to be very productive and he's a guy who comes in right away, has experience. And I think, takes Kentucky up a notch considerably to the point where I'm comfortable right now saying Kentucky is a better basketball team than Tennessee. The thing I like about Tennessee is that they have, I don't want to say perfect, but a nice blend of experience and talent, high-end talent. Like they got two, they now have three five-stars on the roster. And two of them are projected as one-and-done first-round picks. And then they've got experience in the program, most notably, I think. I actually voted John Fulkerson preseason SEC Player of the Year. Like, I don't think anybody else did it with me. If you look at what he did late last season, he was posting big numbers. Big numbers for a mediocre team, I acknowledge. But he was really playing. And now you add a couple of five-star first-round picks – to a team that's got experience and Rick Barnes has obviously got a long track record of, of, of winning, you know, relatively big. Um, I've got Tennessee uh, slightly ahead. And I mean, as slightly as you can have them, I, I have Tennessee 12th in the top 25 and one Kentucky 13th. But um, you know, if, if we look up in January and Kentucky's the better team, that, that won't be the most shocking thing in the world, but I really like the mixture of high end talent NBA talent and experience that Tennessee has. And that's why I would give them a slight edge over Kentucky because Kentucky doesn't have that mixture. Like Olivier Sar helps and Jacob Toppin helps, but they still are going to be wildly reliant on freshmen and first year players. And the truth is though, almost all of John Calipari's teams at Kentucky have been very good. Um, his best teams have been built more like that Tennessee team is built. Um, John said three teams at Kentucky secure number one seeds in the NCAA tournament, 2010, 2012, 2015. And every one of those teams had something in common, which is one and done freshmen who were awesome, but also non-freshmen who played big roles on the team. In 2010, like everybody remembers John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins, and you should. They were awesome. Eric Bledsoe. For the top seven players, for the top seven scores, I should say, on that 2010 team were non-freshmen. Patrick Patterson, junior. Darius Miller, sophomore. DeAndre Liggins, sophomore. Darnell Dotson, sophomore. 2012, everybody remembers Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, Marcus T. You should. They were awesome. Three of the top six scores on that team, non-freshmen. Deron Lamb, sophomore. Darius Miller, senior. Terrence Jones, sophomore. 2015, which is, according to Ken Pomp, the best John Calipari team ever, even though it didn't win the national title. Everybody remembers Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, Tyler Eulis. You should. They were awesome. Four of the top seven on that team scores were non-freshmen. Harrison Twins, both sophomores. Takari Johnson, sophomore. 
Willie Colley Stein Jr. If you are trying to predict that a John Calipari Kentucky team is going to be awesome, you usually need to start by suggesting at least half of the best players on this team are going to be non-freshmen. And I just don't know that that's going to be the case at Kentucky this season. It doesn't mean they can't still be great. I've got them preseason top 15, but this is not the way John's best teams have been built. The way this team is built, it's not the way John's best teams have been built. Yeah. And, and we'll see, you know, this is, this is perennially the Kentucky case is how, how quickly can these freshmen acclimate themselves? And um, I have a lot of confidence in BJ Boston just being awesome. I think he's going to be uh, probably their best scorer and, and one of the best players. Um, but, you know, I, the other freshmen that are coming into this class this season are not the same caliber as the John Walls, the Anthony Davises uh, that have come through Kentucky in years past. And, and maybe one of them surprises me. Um, but, yeah, I think if, if, if you're going to argue against Kentucky and how dare you argue against <laughs> Kentucky Wildcats, uh, that, that is the case is that, you know, they're, they're not um, – necessarily all that experience they don't bring that much back and yes they have a few transfers that could make an impact but this freshman class isn't the same caliber of freshman class that you know in years past has really benefited John Calipari um, immediately so we'll we'll see kind of how that shakes out but uh, I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic about Kentucky's prospects than you are um, but still, I think we should temper ex- expectations and think that this is a borderline top 10 team who could outperform that. But uh, right now, it, it doesn't look like a, a top five team that uh, that maybe some people think they are. You make a good point here. And I'll wrap I'll wrap with this. Kentucky's like I think most people on a surface level, they look at Kentucky's class and they go, oh, it's ranked number one in the country. It's another top ranked class. And it is. It's the best class in the country, according to 24 seven sports. It is not like. Kentucky's other top-ranked recruiting classes. In fact, you know what it looks like? Memphis's top-ranked recruiting class. Mm-hmm. Kentucky's class is great, ranked number one. They only got two top 25 prospects. B.J. Boston, who I agree is go- should be awesome. Like, we also had to turn in, I think yesterday, our ballots for preseason player of the year, coach of the year, freshman of the year, first-team All-American, second-team All-American, third-team All-American. I had B.J. Boston top three for freshman of the year. Yep, me too. And I had him as a third-team All-American. So I think he's going to be awesome. Terrence Clark, I've seen uh, on the grassroots circuit a lot. I think he's going to be really good. But that's the only; those are the only five stars in the class. Uh, Kentucky's class is two five-stars and four four-stars. Memphis's top-ranked recruiting class a year ago, it was two five-stars, James Wiseman, Precious Achua, and five four-stars. So this Kentucky class isn't one of those where it's like five five-star prospects. You know, John's done that before. This isn't that. This is two really high-level prospects and then some other guys who, if we're being honest, should probably be not, you know, should probably turn into sophomores, maybe even juniors, perhaps even seniors. Can you win at a high level immediately with a roster built that way? Not as many five-star prospects as you're used to having. If anybody can do it, it's John and the staff at Kentucky. You bet against them, um, you know, if you want, I personally wouldn't, but if the question is, why do I have them 13th instead of third? That's why. Um, I, 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 you look at the top end talent and there's some really nice pieces there, but this number one ranked recruiting class is not filled with as many five-star prospects 
as Kentucky's other um, top-ranked recruiting classes have normally been filled with. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle, legend. Shouts to Larnell. And thank you guys for listening to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Once again, in the middle of a pandemic. If you enjoy it, please tell somebody about it. And if you're not subscribed already, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate it. We'd appreciate it. Do that. We'll talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.